Over the weekend, the world lost a brilliant artist in the passing of Lynn Shelton. She was a director of movies and television and a true visionary. She was also a guest on the show and my dear friend. I met Lynn about eight years ago and we bonded over mutual friends and a love for music. Eventually our families became close and Lynn became a part of our collective life. I didn't know Lynn as a celebrity, although I looked up to her work. I was fortunate to know her as a dedicated hostess of dinner parties, a bonfire starter, and a compassionate friend and listener. I'll be forever grateful for the time we had together as friends. Lynn was nice enough to ask for my notes on early edits of her last two films, Outside In and Sword of Trust, and for that reason I hold those films dear, although I would ask all of you to go out and devour her work. For the last year, Lynn was with her creative and romantic partner, Mark Marin, a legendary podcaster and someone whose vulnerability in this medium I try to emulate. She was nice enough to arrange a dinner with us several years ago because that's the kind of person she was. She loved to bring people together. On Saturday morning, when I awoke to the news, I called her therapist, who I had introduced Lynn to. I wanted him to learn from me and not from the news. We cried over the phone together. I know that the work she was doing in her own life over the last few years was something she considered transformative. And the last time I saw her in person over Thanksgiving, she expressed her gratitude to me for encouraging it. I can absolutely say that she was very happy. I loved her dearly, but nothing can compare to the love she surrounded all of her friends with every day. I hope you can watch one of her films and feel that warmth, too. Here's our interview from 2017. You know, I'd say that the main theme overriding a lot of the others is that we're all... (laughs) fuck-ups, that our, that our flaws are what make us human. Jesse asked me to move in with him. <gasps> are you serious? Yeah. Last night in front of my family at dinner. Wow. Yeah. Wow. What the No heck, joke. Right? That's... Did you... Are you... You're... I mean, uh, I don't know. Yes, good, no, good. I'm kind of flipping out about it. Well, of course you are. You wouldn't be you if you didn't flip out about it. It's great. It's fine. It's normal. It's normal. Really? Yes. I mean, he was supposed to be my rebound, you know? Yeah. Just my get-back-in-the-game guy. Were you yeah, and each other? what for? happened? Isn't that awful? Something beautiful happened. Is it? I actually have a... Is it? I don't yes. know. Is it being tied down again going to be awesome? Or is it going to be... Like a cage. Welcome to Between Us. I'm John Totten. Today, I'm going to talk with Lynn Shelton. Lynn is a filmmaker from Seattle. My first awareness of Lynn was early in graduate school, back in 2009, when I first saw Hump Day. Her comedy about two college friends who are essentially trying to prove to each other that they can still be relevant through a drunken agreement to make porn together. 
Lynn's films are easily recognizable for their authenticity. Her dialogue is organic and often improvised by the actors. Her vision is not ornate. It doesn't feel staged. Her films seem to capture real people with real problems. A few years ago, I was teaching a course on community mental health, and her film, Touchy Feely, was required viewing. In the film, the main character, Abby, a masseuse, loses her ability to touch human skin. My goal was to have students consider the mental capacity we have to care for others and the increased burden we bear when we take on extra trauma. In the last few years, Lynn has been part of a bit of a television renaissance. Her TV directing credits include Mad Men, New Girl, and my personal favorite, Master of None. I was able to sit down with her in a rare week off and discuss her experience of mind and how her conscious and unconscious mind interact with her craft. How are you? Good. So you're in town for a week? Yeah, just a week, one precious week. I had a really intense month. Um, the last week of shooting was really brutal in particular. And then, so I'm really happy to be here. I'm just trying to, I have to keep reminding myself that it's okay to not be working every minute. It's a weird, it's like a almost a pathology with me that I feel really guilty if I'm not working. So I have to remind myself, Lynn, you just worked your ass off two weeks straight. I mean, four weeks straight, like two back-to-back TV jobs. It was really intense. And now you can relax, you know, so. Yeah. You work a lot. It it seems like there's been a new phase in your career where, like, you just are constantly doing television. And it's the good kind of television. I've been doing a lot of good TV, yeah. I'm about to make a movie in the fall. It will have been three and a half years since I was on a set of my own. I keep getting offered really enticing jobs because they're TV shows that have either actors I want to work with or producers that I'm, you know, happy to work with again, or, um, great material or whatever it is, you know, mm-hmm. it's, I haven't just been doing it sort of for the money. And I feel really lucky about the projects I've gotten to work on sure. in television land. Yeah. But it also creates a crisis for you when it is time to take a break. Right. So just looking at most recently, mm-hmm. uh, I was, so, I had such a hard time. It was such a brutal week just last week. Mm -hmm. It was six days. It started the the Friday before, and then it was all Monday through Friday last week. It was so intense. I didn't get enough sleep and, um, and it was just very stressful in a lot of different ways. And so I was kind of looking forward to the end of the job. You know, Mm -hmm. there were a lot of great things about it too, but it was just so intense. I was like, Oh God, this is going to be, I would be counting the days. Okay. You know, sure. Almost there. And then what happens at the end of every shoot is I do go through a little bit of a blue period. Like the, my last day on any set, I'm always kind of bummed out because I've formed bonds with people. And I like, that's my MO. Like I really like to make connections. So I really make an effort to make, to learn people's names on the set. Even if I'm only going to be there with this one crew for a week, I really want to have rapport. Mm-hmm. It's what makes it all worthwhile is the people that I'm working with. And so I'll 
learn people's names as many people as I can. And I'll try to create, find there are these little moments where other people are working really hard, but you're kind of sitting next to somebody and you're waiting. And so you end up having little conversations and you make these little connections. And then all of a sudden, so all these little connections you've built with people. And it's also, it's so stressful that you're sort of in the trenches together, you know, so there's that bonding that happens. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, this little mini family that you've been a part of is like yanked away from you. And it's, for me, it's always very intense. This, this last time was crazy intense, even though I was looking forward to the end of the job because I was so exhausted. I was like, oh, it's going to be such a relief. And I just fell into this pit of darkness on Friday night and all of Saturday. It was, it was horrible. It was, it was debilitating. I was so depressed and it was just a very short period of time. Thank God. But, um, but it was intense. Like, I, it was just crazy how hard it was for me to... Do you know what it was about? Well, I, I don't. I started to try and talk about it with my therapist a little bit, like, parse out, like, what was that about, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and why is it so... You know, we were wondering if it was bringing up issues of being torn away, you know, having, like, a connection with somebody from my childhood or whatever, like, right, having some sort of a connection and being yanked away or, you know, where it might have come from, like, why is it so deep, you know, why can't it be so deep? But it turns out it's a very bad time for me to be alone. At the end of a shoot? Or yeah, of- because I, if I'm that depressed, if I isolate, it's just bad news. There's some kind of psychological factor or theme in each of Len's movies. Her last film, Laggies, came out in 2014. In it, Kira Knightley plays a woman, a young woman, who's having what Len calls a quarter-life crisis. We might call it arrested development. As I mentioned before, in Hump Day, there are two best friends who are dealing with reconciling the selves that they have become with the selves that they once knew of each other in college. I talked to Lynn a little bit about two of her other films, Your Sister's Sister, and my favorite, Touchy Feely. I tend to think about people less, my movies being more about um, different, uh, about, about the self and how we're different people in relationship to other people, depending on which other people we're, you know, with, how we sort of have these different facets of ourselves or different selves that come out, self-states maybe. And also over time, how that shifts. And also this idea that we have of ourselves versus what the reality <laughs> and and these moments. So I feel like a lot of my movies or all of them even um, are about that that moment, that sort of juncture where you have to face this idea of the concept of yourself and how it mm-hmm. may not completely jibe with the reality of it, of, of who you are and what you are. And so a lot of little identity crises, mm-hmm. um, which can happen at any point in time in your life, you know, they can be a, like the last movie I made was about a quarter life crisis, um, right. but they can come really at any point in time. So can we get specific? Sure. 
<laughs> Your sister's sister. Uh-huh. Something that you do really well is capture the kind of humanness of regular people. The fact that these are kind of regular people and they do things that are supposedly fucked up, but we all have some fucked upness about us. Another thing that I think of is grief. Right. Yes, definitely. And that is definitely a, a foundation of the whole film is based on this. But I think even in the other films, whether it's grief. grieving the I, the loss of the idealized self, mm-hmm. I think in touchy-feely, there's a lot of grief. Yeah. Um, you know, even grieving a change, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the main character in touchy-feely. Transition Feely. is huge. That's a big, yeah. big theme for sure. Yeah. And, and that is like a grieving process. Yeah. And so I think it's interesting that you've started off talking to me about a story of being confused at like, why am I feeling so depressed about just this ending this week long shoot? My first job in community mental health was working with criminal offenders. I was assigned over a hundred clients who were involved with Seattle municipal probation and the department of corrections. It was in that clinic where I truly started to identify with the archetype of the wounded healer. I was overworked and underpaid. I was surrounded in crisis. My clients were often victims of severe traumas themselves. I became depressed. I would sleep a lot. I would eat a lot. The relationships in my own life began to fall apart as I became more cynical and less empathic. Eventually, I learned of the concept of secondary trauma, or trauma exposure response, often found in people who work in highly traumatized populations. It has been discovered that they often have higher risk for symptoms of PTSD. I found a book called Trauma Stewardship. Its author, Laura Vandernoot Lipsky, was a trauma worker who had codified some of the symptoms of this phenomenon. Some of the symptoms included hopelessness, feeling like one can never do enough, diminished creativity, inability to embrace complexity, exhaustion, avoidance of others, dissociative moments, fear, cynicism or anger, numbness, addiction. These were symptoms I was experiencing. I came to realize that to be human is to often experience the sick helping the sick. That being well is not necessarily a requirement for relationship or caring, but that our own illnesses require special attention. This is what I thought was important about Lynn Shelton's film Touchy Feely, that the wounded healer must always be checking in and caring for their own wounds old and new. I'm curious about when you, when you're writing a script or maybe when you're choosing a script, if Mm -hmm. you're aware, if that awareness enters into the process of what of your own, um, what parts of your own mind are playing out through the script. I think it's much more subconscious than that. Yeah. In general, I mean, stuff is being gets pointed out to me about my work after I've made it that I never I was totally unaware of. And then in in retrospect, it's like, oh, yeah, that just totally makes 
it's, but as I'm making it, I'm one of those artists who doesn't have the ability or, or maybe I just don't, my, my brain just doesn't work in that way, but I don't think about the, I don't see all the intricacies of the themes or the patterns, you know, I just am going on my gut. The number one thing is I want them to feel real. I don't want them to just feel the like sort of cardboard cutouts of, you know, facsimiles of humans. I want them to really right. be human, but it's all very, it's all very subtextual. Like it's not, you know, I'm not really aware of. Right. Coming back to touchy feely. Yeah. Which has a special place in my heart because it's about healers mm -hmm. and it's about wounded healers and it's in Seattle. Mm -hmm. And um, I think the wounded healer is an archetype that kind of drives the characters. For sure, yeah. I mean, I think the very first image was years before I made it. I had this idea that came to me. I mean, this is my best recollection that I had this image of um, of somebody who works with bodies and it might've been a doctor. It might've been a dermatologist. It could have been a massage therapist, but somebody who has an intimate relationship through their work with other people's bodies, a lot of them strangers, you know, or just acquaintances or whatever. And, and I just, at some point it just hit me how intense that is. Uh, to be confronted with the real of a person's naked body mm. when you're not like a lover with them, you know, mm -hmm. and lots of people. And, and again, in a very intimate way, like you have to touch them and you have to be like intimately. And it's just, I'm, bodies are just, they're just weird. You know, right. they're all weird. And skin is freaky if you really are looking at a close or whatever. And there's a lot of, you know, people have like, it's just, it's, you know, it can be blotchy and unattractive and it can be really kind of gross, you know? So, um, I just wondered if people who work intimately with other people's bodies and skin ever get to a threshold level where they just, they can't, what would happen if they just can't do it? If they just can't, like, I can't touch one more body, you know? I, and so that just, you know, does that ever happen? You know? So it just, I just wondered about that. And then, it felt like an interesting territory because it just feeds into a whole bunch of other issues like um, how people's identity get gets really wrapped up in what they do. So just the overall question of what, what do you do if you, mm -hmm. what, what happens to your identity if you can't do what you do, you know, if your identity is really closely tied to that, which it is for a lot of people, I think. Yeah. But, you know, what was happening during Touchy Feely, I mean, sorry, during the deep development and shooting of Your Sister's Sister, which preceded Touchy Feely, was that I was dealing with a depression of my own. Um, and so that was something else that I wanted to f explore in Touchy Feely. Because some, some of the aspects of this depression that I had experienced... Um, was a deep sense of shame and a, and a real, like, just it felt very mysterious to me because it felt like it just kind of descended on me for no reason, you know, sort of from out of the blue. And I was, and I didn't talk to people about it. I didn't go seek therapy. I didn't, I really knew I didn't want SSRIs because I, I just, for some reason, I don't know, I was just really... I just isolated myself around it. And there's the pattern again. 
yes. <laughs> and I just wanted it to go away. I wanted to solve it myself. I wanted to figure it out, you know, do research and figure out how can I solve it? What are the steps that need to be taken? I felt like it was a failing in myself, you know. Were you able to figure anything out? I did actually. Yes, it was a process, <laughs> but um, it felt very hormonal. So I, I sort of addressed things nutritionally. And then I started taking, you know, supplements, various supplements that are supposed to help those levels um, as well. And then, uh, and then I saw, oh, that's right. I started to, to do Reiki and it was something somebody had, I'd always been told, oh, you'd be a great candidate for Reiki, which is this energy work that, um, that Rosemary DeWitt's character ends up getting in the movie. And when I wrote it into the script, I thought, oh, I can finally get Reiki because it'll be research for the movie. <laughs> and again, I was like giving myself permission to do something I could have done years before, but it was really, for me, it was like a little bit of a financial thing. Like I felt like I didn't anyway, mm -hmm. so stupid. So it was the first time I got Reiki was like mind blowing, very positive effect for me. And the Reiki practitioner who I really liked a lot and bonded with said, you should go see this woman. If you're in LA, there's a healer person that you should go see. She's like a therapist, but she's also kind of a spiritual counselor. And I was like, well, whoever you tell me to go see, I'm curious. I'm going to go. So I went to the see her and I was telling her about my depression. And she said, she was the first one to point out to me. She said, I don't think it's all physiological. I don't think your depression is just physical. And I really hadn't. And I was like, oh. And I, as soon and immediately after seeing her, I started to meditate. There's almost a reversal. It seems like in your in your personal life, you were convinced that there there was something physiological, your relationship with your body that was affecting your mind. Yeah. And in the movie, it seems like her, her mind is affecting her relationship with bodies. I w specifically wanted it to be mysterious because that was how it had descended on me. You know, it was just sort of it felt very out of the blue. And most people will trace it in the I actually, because it was so unsatisfying for people, I kind of traced it back to uh, issues of intimacy because the boyfriend bring, says, why don't we move in together? And that seems to be the trigger for it. I mean, mm -hmm. I think you could definitely tie those things together. But I didn't want it to be so overt that it was like, oh, yeah, that's definitely what it is. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's fine that it is if or if people want to draw that, draw that conclusion because they need to definitively know where did this depression come from. But for me, and it's and and since you know body like the fact that she can't touch anymore is that could be directly well that's a form of intimacy too. And so suddenly she can't you know she, there's a block there. How would you describe your past and current experiences of therapy and how has that process informed how you think about your art? Right. This is what I was worried you were going to ask me when I came here because I have so little experience with therapy at all. Um, but you have experience with your own mind. You well, have, that's you, there's true. There's been times where you should have been in therapy. <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> Yes. Is there a fear sure. that is there? I mean, I, I think this is something that I encounter in artists mm -hmm. quite a bit. The fear that if you figure too much out, you'll lose creativity. You <laughs> exactly. Um, 
You know, really, it's no, it's really for me, it's always been much more the reason I haven't gone into therapy for a long term, like what I've, my relationship with therapy, just to be really specific is when I was a kid, we went to family therapy briefly for a period when I was in a teenager. And, uh, that could be a whole nother podcast episode. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it was, it was great for me because it, what I remember of it is the therapist basically getting the lay of the land and hearing everybody's sort of side of the story and basically saying to my parents, you know, she's getting good grades. She's not on drugs. Like, what's the problem? Right. <laughs> He's going, thanks. Right. You know, um, so that went very well. And then uh, <laughs> and then I've gone to see therapists. Literally, I've there have been moments of sort of intense, intense moments in my life. Like when I when my son was diagnosed with deafness um, and it was either right then or it was it might have been a little later because at first. I was just great. There was a period of time where I just felt like it was no problem. The diagnosis <laughs> because he had just recovered from an illness that almost took his life. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, great, fine. I've always wanted to learn sign language, like no problem. And then we were going to fit to group to this baby group with other families who had also had babies who were deaf and they were all going through this grieving process as if their kid had died when they, their kids were diagnosed And my husband and I were just like, why? Like, we just don't feel that way because we almost really did lose him. Right. You have so much to be grateful for. Exactly. But then when I did start feeling that grieving process, because it did come, then I felt incredibly guilty because I was like, well, you have to accept whatever comes your way now because you have him alive. And then I felt deeply guilty by feeling sad about the fact that he wasn't going to have hearing, you know, um, like we do. And so that was... I went to see a therapist and I think I saw maybe twice. I think I just saw her once and it was like really just getting that off my chest in a single session. And I, and I think there was another time, one or two other times in my life where I literally just went to see somebody one time. Um, and so, and I think the reason for that is that I just, I, I think it's been um, less avoiding stuff than really feeling like um, I I have I, feeling like I've been able to I can handle everything on my own, and that and that I don't have any issues from my past to work through. That's how you felt at the time. Well, I still sort of feel that way in general because I because I really did have a great upbringing and I had great parents and I so I, I this idea of like working through issues with your parents and stuff like that it's like well I you know I was I really I wasn't abused at all I wasn't there was no real trauma blah 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 you know but now that I'm in therapy I've been in therapy now for a few months for the first time in my life on a regular mm-hmm. basis and just recently have <laughs> started to realize that oh there might be things to work through. And it doesn't mean, I think part of me was worried that it would be a judgment against or a, an accusation against my parents. But really, there's some stuff that just happened or that, you know, that, that it happens either to A, to everybody or that wasn't, 
their fault or that or C wasn't like um, bad intentions. You know, it wasn't. It right. was, so it's not that they're really there's anybody to even blame or that they have to be, you know. Right. Um, but they still had an effect on me. <laughs> sure. <laughs> In deeper ways. I mean, this is an example. I they My parents divorced when I was eight. And I remember all of these very adult thoughts from my head of just like, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm handling this really. I don't need to. I'm very mature and I don't need to. Like, I'm not blaming myself for this or whatever, just things like that. But now I'm starting to go back and look at some, at some of the effects that that might have happened, you know, might have might have had on me and um, that the divorce might have had on me without anybody meaning it to, but just it just did. And I've been reading about addiction, for instance, and, you know, you read about case studies or whatever, you, part of the testimonial or people just refer to um, uh, issues that people might have had that they're working out in the past or, you know, from the past. And it's like, well, I didn't have any of those things. Like, I, right. why am I not okay? If, right. why am I having these issues around food or whatever? If I'm, you know, if I didn't have any trauma. But yeah, I've been, I've had in the, in, I mean, I, it's hard to parse, it's hard to sort of trace back exactly, oh, have you always had these issues and you never right. really faced them before? But they became very, um, intensified right around that same time I was talking about with this depression that I was having. One of the things that happened was that I turned, I started really turning to food in a heavy way for comfort when I was during the, right around the time I was making your sister, sister, um, when the depression was kind of at its worst. Uh, and that just kept getting more and more to a place of just feeling like it, I would go into these stupors, these states of just where I, I just had no control, you know, and I would just sort of like dive into these binging states. And, and it was just always so fascinating. We're talking about self states, you know, cause I, <laughs> the next morning I'd just be like, why did you knew you were going to make yourself feel sick? You knew you were going to make yourself feel full of shame and self-loathing what what how can you not be aware of that when you're in that state it really is like a whole different state of being you know right and and the other funny thing is i was just exploring <laughs> just brought it up with a with my therapist the other day was there's this attitude of like fuck it man i don't care like this weird rebelliousness mm-hmm. against who who am i rebelling against by you know eating that entire chocolate cake or whatever like i'm not that's not what i eat but you know <laughs> right um and he was the one who pointed out oh it's you rebelling again is it like you're rebelling against your own like a authority figure in your like brain, inner, you know, inner critic, the or... inner authority figure. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that must be it. Like who else am I? It's not like the man who's outside of me. It's right. me, you know, and it's so weird. And for a while I tried to trick myself into thinking about mourning Lynn, who would feel wounded and sad, like saddened by this thing that I had done to myself as a separate human, like as, like as a child or as a, or as a good friend of mine who I would never want to actually harm. Can right. you think of that person as a separate person that you wouldn't, you know, but it doesn't really work. It's, <laughs> well, <laughs> it's yet, <turns> out. yet. <laughs>
You've been listening to Between Us. I'm John Totten. Thanks to our guest, Lynn Shelton. Between Us was produced by myself and Mason Neely, who also composed our music. As usual, find us on social media, look us up on Facebook and Twitter, and let us know what you think, reach out, and take care.